Hello, listeners. This podcast is hosted by International Idea. In the next minutes, we will help you make sense of what's happening today in democracy worldwide. Welcome to Democracy Ideas podcast. My name is Kimana Zulueta-Fulscher, and I'm a senior advisor at International Ideas Constitution Building Program. Today, we will talk about the ongoing constitutional reform process in Chile. This is not the first process of its kind, and many of our listeners will have heard about the constitutional convention that produced a draft constitution, which was then rejected in referendum in September 2022, so just last year. But probably fewer listeners have heard about the new process that is currently ongoing. So today we will explore both of these processes, why the previous one failed, but also why the ongoing one may be successful. I'm joined in this podcast by Professor Isabel Aninat, Dean of the Law School at the University Adolfo Ibáñez in Santiago de Chile, and also a member of International Ideas Board of Advisors. And I'm also joined by Javier Coso, Professor of Public Law at the University Diego Portales in Santiago de Chile, as well as Professor at the University of Utrecht in the Netherlands. Welcome, Isabel and Javier, to Democracy Ideas podcast. Both of you have been very closely following developments in constitutional reform in Chile as a significant part of Chilean society has now for years demanded a new constitution to replace the old 1980 constitution. This constitution originated during the years that Chile was governed under military rule, but, but it has been significantly amended since it was adopted. But still, many Chileans want a new constitution. So, Isabel, perhaps you could get us started and, and walk us through why this is the case. Why do many Chileans want a new constitution? Thanks, Kimana. And thank you for inviting me. And it's a pleasure to be here with you and Javier. I would say that um, even though our current constitution has had many reforms, as you mentioned in your intro, um, there's still the, 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 the need for a new constitution that it um, comes forth in different reasons. And if you see um, polls where people that are, are asked, why do you want a new constitution? You can see that one, of the, one reason and, and the most predominant one is the idea of social rights. When we had the social outburst at the end of 2019, there were a plethora of issues that you could see in the streets, in the signs. Um, but many of those issues, I would say most of these issues, related to the idea of health, pensions, and education. And so um, the idea was sort of crystallized in a, in, in, in a text that would bring forward a better social rights. And that is something that appears firsthand in the polls. Um, another set of reasons is the idea of, of, of the origin of the constitution, uh, of, of it being um, put forth in a dictatorship and that we need a, a constitution that is discussed and comes forth in a democracy. Um, the idea of a new constitution is, of course, not new. It, ha it had been present in the academia and in, 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 in intellectual discussions, um, but it was also present in the political discussion, um, during the reforms, of course, of um, the, the, the President Lagos. Um, but afterwards, um, it's interesting to see that um, President Bachelet, during her second government, put forward a, a different sort of constitutional process that engaged with uh, the citizens uh, through dialogues and, and, and so that was, I would say, the first constitutional process that we had. 
Um, it, it, it did not end in a constitutional transformation, uh, but it was sort of put out there. Um, and so it's not that the idea of a new constitution came forth last year or two years ago. It sort of has a longer history. And we voted for the idea of a new constitution um, by the end of 2020. So, so that was the opening for the constitutional process that we have had over the last three years. And indeed, it was that social uprising in October 2019 that led eventually to the election of that constitutional convention, right, in, in May 2021, which was the start of this year-long process of constitutional writing. Um, but unfortunately for many, the constitution that the convention then drafted was rejected in referendum. So, Javier, can you help us understand what happened here? What are, in your view, the key factors that may explain this failed referendum? There's still debate about that, as there is still debate about the social, the causes of the social uprising. I think that there were uh, a number of uh, factors that influenced the, the failure of that first attempt. Uh, basically, there was a completely new way of electing the members of the convention, allowing for nationalists of independence. That it allowed people who were more radical than they seemed to be voted into the convention. The shape of the convention was 60% of independence vis-a-vis 40% of members of political parties. And 40% of the complete body was fully independent. They had not even the support of political parties. And that, that's something rare in constitution-making bodies that had been successful. There are a number of reasons why that is so. I would say the lack of political experience, legislative experience. And I, I think that also the ability to try to talk to people who are on the other side of the political spectrum. This group, uh, without this group, not one clause of the project could have been approved. The right wing was reduced to 20% of the convention when they had always been around one third and 40%. And therefore there was a sense that uh, they were excluded. Uh, another factor was that there was too much change too fast. There was even a necessary changing of names of, uh, of uh, some institutions. Uh, there was also alarm for proposals that had no chance of being, you know, adopted by the convention, but they were that they were adopted by committees that were very radical. Uh, some of these had no hope of being uh, approved, but they were on the media for weeks before they were struck down by the plenary, you know, producing noise. And uh, there were uh, institutions that people failed to understand, and actually they failed to understand because they were not very well explained by the conventions, like the plurinational state, there was also speculation about things that uh, were not really in the Dragon state. The you know possibility that even national symbols would be uh, replaced. So there were an and of course 
the behavior of some members of the convention that was very extravagant. Uh, not the least one member who actually was almost vice, elected to be vice president of the convention, who was part of a scheme to fake that he had cancer and he got elected as a cancer patient rights person. So I think that all this conspired uh, against uh, the approval of the first uh, constitution-making process. What is interesting is to see that many different factors may have contributed to the failure of this uh, draft and this referendum, as it is also the case in many other processes that, uh, that fail at a global level. Um, but another issue that is really interesting out of the Chilean process is that, of course, there were general elections in the middle of the process, right? And a left-wing president was elected at the end of 2021, Gabriel Boric. And, and he was indeed, or one could say he was a supporter of the process led by the convention. And we can, of course, talk for hours probably about, you know, the impact of general elections held in the middle of the constitution building program, but I'm particularly interested in how this referendum, how the referendum result affected his government. Um, I would say that it affected it in, in many ways, um, his government, but also Chilean politics. Um, President Boric runs a government that is composed of two coalitions. So it, it has uh, the left coalition and then the center left coalition. And I, I would say that we have seen after the, re the referendum results a shift of power within the government in terms of cabinet shifts of the agenda um, and, and also of the tone and, and, and the sort of the public speeches, you can see that there's a, a shift in the balance. Um, it has also affected, um, I would say, the, the, the priorities. Um, President Boric came in with an agenda that was very transformative in, in many areas, uh, but it was very tied to the constitutional process at the beginning. And of course, after the referendum, there has been a shift in the agenda, but also it has had to do with, with the shift in the, in the, in the agenda in, in the national terms. So um, crime and security, which, which were not the priorities a few years ago, today are the main issue in the public discussion and for the general population. So the government has had to sort of um, change its priorities to address these new issues, of course, at the economy and sort of um, uh, do a shift in its um, focus for the next few years. And we saw that in the recent State of the Union speech that President Boric um, just addressed Congress with. Um, and I, I would say that there's also a shift in politics in terms of um, it has been very clear that um, that voters today are much less loyal to the authorities that they elect. This being the government, this being Congress people, this being um, constitutional um, experts, right? And so um, this is sort of a, a, a call for attention in terms that you can get voted with a certain number of votes, but that doesn't mean that's your base, your loyal base, your stand up for the next four years. Uh, it's it's they elect you, but then they they can move on and and go with an with another. Um, political party or, or with another political option. And I'd say uh, that has fragmented the discussion and sort of 
um, shifted a little bit the negotiations because it's it's today that the discussion it's much more fragmented in terms of leadership within Congress and 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 the whole spectrum it's a little bit uh, messier in terms of what we were used to for Chilean politics. I would like to add to what uh, Isabel just said that one of the members of the cabinet of, of uh, President Boric, in a way. It made the result of the referendum of September 2022 more problematic for his government than it should have been. Uh, Mr. Jackson at the time said that the viability of the many of the reforms proposed by Boric in his platform depended on the approval of the new text of uh, the constitution. And that Yeah, I think it was an unnecessary statement that increased the stakes for the government and therefore affected the government more. It's good to remember that one of the one of the, the first things Boric did once elected, he was not even president of Chile, just president-elect, was to visit the convention back in December 2021. And he asked the convention to draft a non-partisan constitution, which is something very interesting, but that did not happen uh, for a number of reasons that would take too long to explain here. Uh, the right was excluded from having a, you know, an important incidence on the draft that was submitted to the people for approval in September. So uh, I would say that In a way, the the start the, the start of Polish presidency was marked by this defeat, this electoral defeat. And still, isn't it remarkable that after the referendum, Chilean actors and particularly politicians, representatives in Congress, came up with a new political agreement in December 2022 that paved the way for yet another constitution-making process, Isabel. I was wondering, can you briefly describe the main features of this process? It's very different from what we used to have. And I, I don't think, Imana, you might know this, but it's very different from any um, other examples around the world, no? I, 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 I'm not sure we have seen something like this. So it has two moments. We're just finishing the first moment and entering into the second. The first moment was um, composed by experts which were elected by Congress, the lower and the upper chambers, and they were um, sort of um, very, um, they reflect um, the different political parties um, that are represented in government, or, uh, sorry, in Congress. Um, so there's 12 and 12, uh, and they, they have been working since March. Um, they have been, uh, and they have to propose what in Chile we call the anteproyecto, so the first draft, uh, which is a whole draft of the of an entire constitution. You can access this draft; it's now for uh, the public opinion to see. Um, and and they, well, we will see that they will hand this hand this draft to the elected body. So we just had elections a few weeks ago. And, and this is the second moment, uh, to a cons uh, an elected body of constitutional representatives. We have 51 elected people. 
and 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 they will have now to this, to take this draft and to do a final proposition. During this second moment, the experts um, do not have a vote, but they have a voice, and there can be changes to the draft. There are some special quorums, which I won't go into them, um, but um, so we will have a final draft that will go to a general referendum at the end of this year, in December, actually. Um, in, there's another body, uh, which is the Admissions Council, which is um, sort of um, a referee, I would say. Um, it has not operated yet, but because this whole process is based on the on 12 minimums that were agreed to by Congress, so there's 12 things that must be included in the final proposal, which are very, very general um, things that must be included. Uh, this admissions body is sort of the referee to see if they adapt or not to these 12 points. Um, we will probably see a, a more work of this admissions uh, referee over the next few months, maybe, uh, because we have not seen that yet. Uh, but as you can see, it has it's sort of a mix of experts, um, elected representatives, um, an admissions referee, and then a final vote with mandatory voting um, at the end of this year. As Isabel just mentioned, elections for the Constitutional Council were just held on the 7th of May. The results of these elections were quite a surprise, I believe, as not only political parties from the right ideological spectrum won sort of an overwhelming majority in the council, but also the Republican Party, a party that is regarded as ultra-conservative, won a sufficient majority that would enable it to block any decision-making within the council. So I wonder how does this bode for the rest of the constitution-making process? Javier, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that the process was going very well. In some ways, the practical tie between right and center-right forces and left and center-left forces in the Committee of Experts contributed uh, to a draft, a blueprint of uh, a new constitution that actually is one that I think most Chileans could live with and had a good prospect of being ratified uh, in the exit referendum in December. But the fact that we have a new actor, an actor, the Republican Party, that did not even participate in the uh, negotiations for this second constitution-making process, that uh, had only one expert out of 24 in the first stage of the current constitution-making process, now we'll have almost half of the elected body, which gives it not just veto power, but with a few extra votes, the possibility to be decisive in creating new clauses. It's something that introduces a degree of uncertainty that uh, we did not expect it only a few weeks back. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot will uh, depend on what is the relationship between the Republicanos far-right party and the traditional right. 
And whether or not the traditional right plays the role of a bridge between Republicanos and the left, the left has only 17 members out of 51. Uh, so they cannot even veto any decision uh, taken by the elected body. And it's true that the committee of experts are going to have a voice, but they are not a monolithic body. I mean, uh, some of the things that uh, were postponed, let's say, by the committee of experts was were postponed because there was no agreement on them, particularly how to square the social right principle that cannot be touched by any of these bodies and the Chilean, let's say, neoliberal subsidiary state. How to square those two principles? It's something that it's perhaps going to be one of the most interesting things to follow up in the following months. Indeed, Javier, and probably also helpful to our listeners to understand a bit better this distinction you just made between the uh, social and economic state and this subsidiary state as understood in Chile. Yeah, the, the Chilean way of understanding subsidiarity, it's the possibility that every citizen can choose, is free to choose as a constitutional right, to choose whether the provision of a social right like uh, healthcare is provided by a private or a public insurer or system. Uh, this would make unconstitutional in Chile to have, say, the National Health Service of the UK, because there is a constitutional right to have uh, healthcare as a social security issue uh, being provided by either a public or private entity. Of course, the freedom to choose is only for those who have the money to choose. So we have a seg segregated system of providing the social right to healthcare. In education, it's more common in other countries, but let's say the way the German constitutional constitution combines its commitment to a social state with the provision by private groups of education is with the critical condition that you cannot discriminate children for the income of their parents if you allow uh, uh, private schools to exist. So there you can see how the social rights uh, are, are not distorted by freedom of election of either a private or public provider. That critical notion that, you, that, a, that a right, a fundamental right cannot, you know, uh, be a, distorted by whether or not you have money or not. So that I think is going to be one of, and it was in the committee of experts, the key ideological debate, and they agree to disagree. That's why it was not even news. So there seem to be still quite a few and quite critical issues to be decided by the Constitutional Council. And as you said, much will depend on whether or not the Council can come perhaps to a similar consensus, like the expert commission, but also it will depend on the relationship between these two bodies and the admissibility committee 
that Isabel was mentioning before. And then we cannot forget, of course, that Chilean voters will be asked again to vote in another mandatory referendum in December uh, 2023, whether they approve or they reject the draft that will come out of the Constitutional Council. And I guess it is too early to ask what your forecast is, but what do you think? Will the process of constitutional replacement be finally concluded this year, Isabel? Impossible to say. <laughs> we have learned something, which is that you cannot predict anything in Chile anymore. Um, it's interesting to show that um, that that polls uh, during the last few months show that there's that there is a distance with the constitutional process in general. Um, they ask, uh, how are you going to vote? And a lot of them say rejection, uh, even though there's not even a, fa a, fa a draft. I mean, now, it, there, now we have the first draft, but it's not something that you could discuss over the document. I think there's um, the priorities have shifted. It's, it's interesting to watch how over the last three or four years, Uh, the level of um, intensity of an issue uh, lasts over the last few months and then it shifts completely in the agenda. We had a very strong constitutional discussion, uh, especially since um, the referendum of 2020 and the, and the convention, the first convention. And it was very intense in terms of what you would see in the newspapers, on TV, uh, on discussion on social media. Uh, so it sort of saturated the discussion in, uh, for a while. And 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 there was, um, because of how the convention behaved, um, there was a lot of um, scandals or mini scandals, I would say, but, but a lot of things that you could sort of put forward very easily and rapidly. Um, with uh, the current process, Uh, I would say it's it's very different in terms of the of the general environment. Um, the current process, because um, because of how it's designed, it had a very technical part, which is um, the discussion of the experts, um, which of course you could you could see on YouTube, etc. But but the level of engagement has been much lower. Um, I think as a result of where we come from, but also as a result of how the discussion is, I mean, it's um, general population does not engage with a theoretical discussion on the difference between of solidarity and subsidiarity. Um, but uh, but I would say that um, because we had an election a few weeks, weeks ago, that is changing. Um, and, 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 and it was interesting to see that Um, there was a, a sort of the idea that a few people would participate in the election. Um, maybe uh, there was no electoral uh, environment. Um, this was not attractive. And we had one of the most massive electoral processes um, that we have had since the return to democracy. So, so, so it's difficult to read in terms of, oh, yes, it's not anymore in the front news. Yes, it's not anymore as the the most talked about issue in social media, but still people are participating in 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 the crucial moments. Um, we, I think, how the discussion will run over the next few months um, will be something that 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 we will see in terms of. Um, I I think if we go back to the your first question, Kimana, um, why do people want a new constitution? Um, Again, polls show that there's a lot of issues on social rights and on, on, on a system that allows 
for them to be processed. We have a huge discussion today regarding a private health system. We have a huge discussion regarding the pension system. None of those things are, are have been changed. Um, and, and if we go back to them, maybe it's something that we could sort of close the circle. Uh, but I would say that it's definitely too early to predict anything. And and despite that lack of interest that you say the referendum will be mandatory, people will have to go to vote, um, so as they had to go to vote for the elections to the Constitutional Council. Uh, but indeed, it, it may really be too early to say. But still, I want to ask Javier also whether he would dare to make a forecast for the referendum. I agree with Isabel that it's been very hard to uh, forecast. But I think that one scenario that we have to have in mind that it would be an intervening variable in this is that a couple of months before the referendum, there would be the commemoration of 50 years anniversary of the military coup of 1973, which brings back the fact that you know a lot of polarization to the country. We have already seen these very weeks uh, because, let's say, some statements of members of the Republican Party who were elected to the convention uh, were praiseful of the military regime. So there was a lot of debate about that. So that's a variable that may not know what will happen. But I can say this. If I don't see, let's say, a big enough group, a transversal enough group of political parties, let's say from UDI to the Socialist Party, calling to say yes to the new constitution, it's very hard to imagine that it would be approved. Uh, I think that if it's seen as the constitutional, as a partisan constitution, that conspires heavily uh, against the ratifications, not 100% sure that it will not be ratified in that case. But it, in order to play safe, it, it's, it is a bit of a pity that uh, the committee, uh, I mean, the, the elected commission is not, uh, does not have the same ideological outlook of the committee of experts, because that would have uh, allowed for this process to have way more chances than I think it will have in December to be ratified and to end uh, with success. On the other hand, one could also say that perhaps the expert commission would not have behaved in the same way with different results in the elections to the Constitutional Council. So one never knows. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation, Isabel and Javier. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you both on this podcast and to be able to spend some time speaking about the really, really fascinating constitutional reform process in Chile. Thank you all for listening. If you want more information on our work, please visit our website on idea.int. Thank you for listening to the Democracy Ideas podcast. Keep following International Idea on social media. We need all of you to participate in constructing better societies. Goodbye.